we only have after today uh, one more session um, in this series, and uh, but we want to make sure remind you of what we want to go over. So in our objectives, we talk about um, that we are to illuminate the character, capability, and capacity of stewardship that lies inside the believer if true believed, regarded, and acted upon. That you have, you can manifest the, char the character and then God will also infuse in you if you bring the attitude of faithfulness capability and that through that capability, you will have capacity and your capacity as a steward will increase over time. It's actually designed to increase over time. It's the reason why someone can show themselves faithful in the small thing and then keep growing in stewardship to the point where they can be faithful over progressively larger things. We also said to elaborate on the principal pattern, power and promise of stewardship to motivate you to make internal and external change necessary to fully benefit from your inherent capacity for stewardship, taking natural actions that trigger supernatural outcomes for to activate the partnership potential with God through the identification, activation, and continuation of your role as steward, and to fight to accelerate you toward the stewardship God intends in each area of life. We also gave you some prophetic pieces from uh, one of our fathers in the faith, Bishop C. Milton Granham, who was kind of a mentor um, from afar, but had ministered on stewardship in our leadership conference last year. And he said the commitment towards being a steward is not a feeling or an urgency that most people grow up with. It consists more of a functional decisions that need to be made on a daily basis. It's not a task or commission that one has to work towards, but instead it is a personal commitment and choice that is validated and renewed on an ongoing basis. Go to our pillar definitions. Um, just want to remind you of the pillar definition um, of stewardship, workmanship, and entrepreneurship. Stewardship, we said, and this is the one I really want to kind of keep working on, is acknowledgement that the spiritual, physical, financial, and relational resources entrusted to us belong to God and must be faithfully accounted for. Workmanship is living our lives as God divine, God's divine designs as creative expressions of our heavenly creator. And entrepreneurship is recognition of the power to get wealth through biblical success principles. And from our perspective, as we talk about stewardship, as we talk about stewardship, what we're actually saying is there are many kinds of wealth that can be monitored, maintained, managed, multiplied, and then meet, meted out to those that have need or those who, who have assignment. And so because there are multiple kinds of wealth, we have to think, think of stewardship holistically. Sometimes in church, when we're talking to talking about stewardship, it's because a church is having a building program and they got a certain number of people and they need to get more money out of those people to do the building program. Nothing wrong with it. And so then they try to tell them how to manage their money better so that they can give more to the kingdom. And in my statement that that's only a small part of stewardship and it is a part. It's an important part. It's a necessary part. If you're in a church in a building program, you should be doing that. But stewardship is more than just the money you give to church. It's the whole of your financial well-being, but it's more than financial well-being. And we'll talk about some of those categories today. All right. Let's look at the word that we gave you for steward there, oikonomos, um, as a key definition. It's a house distributor, one who distributes resources, a fiscal agent. 
um, treasurer, one who, who um, the Greek word oikos is the word for house, and namos means to distribute or to parcel out. You're the person who distributes things out for the household. Okay, and then let's go down to our four key stewardship principles. Um, God, number one, we said has appointed all humanity, but especially Christians, to be as stewards on earth. Stewardship is not an option, as Paul points out in his own call. Being a steward is a necessary part of fulfilling kingdom purposes, and the product of stewardship has the potential to bring blessing to others who are touched by it. Number four, we're going to really dig some into today. Now, last week, we walked you through um, five principles that occur in the stewardship model, five principles that occur in the stewardship model. We want to review that, and I promised you, um, it was two weeks ago, that I would dig into number two. And so we'll do this, we'll, we'll do a dig into number two after this. First, we said it was ownership, and we told you Psalm 24 and 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so what we say is that, you know, by inheritance, since we're God's son, um, we have an inheritance part. So some of this really is ours in terms of our partnership with God, but it's ours in the sense of it's a duality of the fact that um, we are owners with God, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ inherits everything, but ultimately the senior partner is God and we're the junior partner. Jesus said it this way, I must be about my father's business. So even though he knew he had the right to everything, he still recognized that he had a stewardship responsibility and he ultimately answered to his father. And we just have that same um, perspective in and of ourselves. The two is, the second one is trust. And we'll deal with this one. Um, and we called it a trust is, is a living will. And that statement says, usually where stewardship gets into an issue is where people cross a boundary or they violate a sacred trust. We also gave you the definition of faithfulness. And we remind, I remind you of 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, where it says that a steward must be found faithful. And faithfulness, we see here, the definition we say it is trustworthy, steadfast in devotion to principles, personal behavior, and promises. Now, this is a slightly different one on number four that I get for you on that list. Number four is visitation. Let's look at the definition that we have for visitation. This is actually something I found in one of the commentaries I was studying, um, and I thought it was such a good statement that I just basically took it as it, as it is, other than to um, just uh, just one of the words there. And visitation says, um, definition is the act by which God looks into and searches out the ways, deeds, character um, of men in order to adjudge them their harvest accordingly, whether joyous or sad. And so God begins to look at that happen now, the issue that happens is, just like with most harvests that come to us, there's seed, and then there's time, and then there's harvest. And what happens is, sometimes people are, are um, performing poorly in their stewardship for some period of time before it, before it catches up with them. But eventually, that moment of visitation comes, and it catches you. Um, 
And then number five is, is promotion or demotion. That's where whether you are joyous or sad based on the outcome of a visitation. Now, before I go, no, let's, let's, I'll come back to number four and five because I gave you some scriptures on four and five, but I added, I added some scriptures here for both four and five. But let's look at um, the comp critical components of a trust, critical components of a trust. Remember, number two in it uh, on our list was that. All right. And um, so we'll see. It's about six things that are in here on this that I want to kind of walk you through. Um, number one is the appointer when there's a trust. Now I'm talking about a legal trust. If you had in your estate planning, a trust, um, and a trust could be, you know, instead of a will that goes into effect after you die, the last will and test Testament, right? the trust goes into effect while you live. You can, while you live, you can put assets into a trust and then someone is the trustee who manages those assets. In my mind, in most things that have to do with stewardship, this is a good framework to think about it. Okay, so let's look at it. In a pointer, um, whenever there's a trustee, somebody has to be able to install or remove the person who is a trustee. Remember, um, and sometimes these one person can fill multiple roles, but think about um, in, in most cases, when we think about stewardship in terms of God, God is the appointer. It says God removes kings and sets and sets up kings. Oftentimes, he'll give people a stewardship. Remember in the parables that we did of Luke chapter 16, the appointer was the owner in Luke 16, and he fired the guy for poor stewardship of the, the unjust steward. Amen? So he's an appointer. Then we said is, along with the appointer, there must be some person who is the beneficiary. The beneficiary. Now, let's look at that one. There's a key statement under beneficiary, the person who, who benefits from the trustee performing their role. They benefit from the whole trust itself. Um, so let's give you an example. Let's say um, you as a parent, because sometimes, the, sometimes you can see where the appointer and the beneficiary are the same person, but sometimes they can be different. Let's say you're a parent and a part of your estate planning is you have a young child who you have a plan for. If something happens to you before the child reaches a certain age, that you have professional people to manage the financials of your estate until that person is, is able to. Now, that person, you could be the appointer, your child could be the beneficiary, and you could have a professional manager to actually be the trustee. Okay? Now, the statement that the, the sub-bullet on this one says that the trustee should get some benefit, but often not the main benefit. What do I mean by that? If you got a trustee that's managing your financial account, then they should be paid to manage it 
but they should be paid to management, not pilfer the money from the account to line their pockets. See the difference? And, and what happens is, you know, think about uh, many of us, um, myself included, um, we often have, um, you know, 401ks or mutual funds that we're invested in. And somebody in New York who we've never seen, we give thousands and thousands of dollars. And they are supposed to be the trustee, but we're supposed to be the beneficiary. And then somewhere in the fine print, they tell you how much money they take out. And then some of us, present company included, at times hasn't looked closely to see how well they're managing your resources. And we just leave the money with them, not even looking to see whether or not we're benefiting. And even when we're not benefiting, they keep benefiting. And sometimes they can be in cross purposes because they're benefiting even though the performance of your money is dwindling over time. Amen. It's just a way of thinking. Let's go on to the third one in that list. The trust property is assets that you have poured into the trust. It could be money. You know, so one of the things that happens when you're in estate planning, I sat down with an estate planning attorney and they want to make sure that you pour all your assets into the trust. All right. So that everything that needs to be is managed inside of the trust and you don't have assets sitting on the outside. All right. Um, number four um, or the fourth one is a settler. Settler is a person who adds resources to the trust. Sometimes one person can 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 operate in multiple roles, but you have to think about it. Number five there is the object or the purpose and parameters or guidelines for trust management. All right. So whatever trust, whoever is the trustee has to know what are the rules. And then the last one there is the trustee, the per person involved in stewarding the trust property. Okay, so let's just look at this framework for a second. I wanna just kinda uh, think about it in the sense of different kinds of property. God, God, um, God um, in the original Genesis one and two mandate, he's clearly the appointer because he set man to have dominion in the earth, right? The mankind is intended to be both the trustee and the beneficiary in the case of humanity. Let them have dominion. He gave mankind and it was for man's benefit. What is the son of man that you visit him, all right? But it was also for God's benefit because God made man to have fellowship with him and to have dominion in the earth, all right? The trust property for all humanity is all of creation on the earth, all right? Um, God was the original settler of the trust because he set everything in motion, but he also made provision for assets within the trust to grow, be fruitful, multiply, right? So he gave, he gave all creation the seed process so the assets inside of the trust could multiply. And then humanity was supposed to be the trustee, but humanity violated the trust. And then they lost their stewardship, particularly of the garden, right? He kicked him out of the assignment. Um, and we, we, see, we see that kind of, I just want you to have that as a framework. Even when I think about, you know, my responsibility that I have uh, in the automotive industry, you know, the appointers are, can be my leadership 
team, right? But ultimately, we report, this is pastor's statement, I report to the CEO, but the, as a CEO, I also report to the shareholders, all right? And so I'm a, I'm a steward, and I have a certain realm within I, within which I can make decisions. I get benefit from it. I get paid from it. I get certain perks from it. Um, but I have to make sure that, you know, money that the general intends to spend in here in this area, David doesn't put in his pocket in that area. All right. And somebody's always checking. Hey, you know how you did this? How did you manage that? Some sometimes they will audit me because they want to keep everybody honest and I'm cool with it. Right. When you're doing right, you don't mind somebody checking your homework. All right. So I want you to be thinking about um your life in that framework who is you know um who is the appointers in in um in government in a democ in democratic government it's supposed the appointers and the beneficiaries are supposed to be we the people okay um but sometimes politicians can take money that was supposed to be given to the that they're managing for the public trust and then begin to cause money to come to them that's supposed to go into the, uh, for the benefit um, of the community and the society. So that's, that's why that framework to me is so powerful. Even when you think about things like your own, your own personal body, one of the assets you have that God inquires you, requires you to be steward of is your own body. But, but he tells you in scripture, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You are not your own. He's saying you're the trustee, but you're not the owner of your own body. And then he says, if you destroy your body, there's scripture that says this, I will destroy you. Uh-oh. So he's saying if you destroy the asset that he gave you to manage, the, the, the penalty of that is you lose stewardship of the asset, which is what death is. Then you let go of the body and you can go to heaven before your time because you are a poor steward over the asset of your physical body. I just want you to understand that this this framework of assets where there is an appointer, a beneficiary, trust property, somebody that settles the trust, an object or the guidelines or parameters. And who is the trustee? Sometimes you're the trustee, um, but you got to know who am I responsible to? Who actually appointed me? Who can who can remove me? What what is the property? Who is this supposed to benefit? I think of ministry as a sacred trust. The Apostle Paul in First Corinthians four said that the trust property that let's look at it. First Corinthians four one and two. What is because I want you to think about this framework. What is the trust property when it comes to ministry? First Corinthians chapter four. Verses one and two. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards, stewards of the mysteries of God. So that mysteries of God, the, the, the revelation from the word of God is what he said he steward over. Now look at verse two. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So he says that God has given as a minister, the appointer then would be God himself because God is the one that calls ministers to ministry. And 
God not only appoints ministers, but he also removes them. Who is the beneficiary? The beneficiary in ministry is always the people that God sends you to minister to. Right. God told Moses, I have seen the cries of I have heard the cries of my people. Therefore, you go and minister to them. And so they were intended to be the beneficiaries. The trust property here, this scripture says, is the mysteries of God. Then the settler had to be God because only God could could give the mysteries, the revelation knowledge from the word of God to ministers, to minister to the people. All right. The, the object is for us to be faithful to the word, to give them the truth in love. And then the minister, therefore, is the trustee. I treat um, the word of God as true, what Jesus called in Luke 16, true riches. All right. So that was the faithfulness aspect. Now let's look at the visitation aspect. Sometime after you've been faithful, sometime in the future, God comes in and visit. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners or travelers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that's non-believers outside the church, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's supposed to be a day where you get vindicated because God comes and looks out for you. And then in that day, they say, okay, you know what? It looked like things were one way, but God turned it around. Um, then there in that is promotion or demotion. Let's look at Psalm chapter 105, verses 17 through 22, promotion and demotion. He, God, sent a man before them, before the children of Israel, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. That's the visitation part. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him Lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. And so one of the things that happens is after some time of being faithful, we I wish I could tell you how long you had to be faithful in your stewardship before your visitation would arrive. I wish I knew that date myself. I don't. I just have to stay faithful as if I'm going to stay faithful forever, believing that stewardship, the principles of stewardship are going to come. And then the promotion that God promises is going to happen. All right. Now, last week we talked about um, 12 keys of stewardship from the parable of the talents and the minas or parables of the talents and the pounds. All right. They were all related to money. Everybody had to be faithful. Sometimes there are some things in stewardship where people have differences and get the same result. And sometimes people in stewardship has everything the same. But then we differentiate that the results on the outcomes. God has dealt to every man among you the measure of faith. But if I steward my faith better than you steward your faith, I'll get a better outcome because my faith can be no faith, little faith, you know, 
great faith, strong faith, depending on how I grow my faith. All right. And so um, I want to be a person who takes and in the areas where we have commonality, I want to differentiate myself. You know, God gives to all of us time. God's scripture says to everything, there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. If I maximize my time better than you, I can get better outcomes with my time than you get. Okay. And so we want to see where in the areas where we, we have different gifts. Sometimes we just want to maximize our differences. Well, I wish I could preach like Pastor David. Well, God didn't tell you to do that. Don't do that. But on the things that we have common, then that's where you really can differentiate your outcomes. But you need to be whatever God's given you. You are his workmanship. So you need to steward whatever you have been assigned according to the ability that he has for you and grow it. Because what we showed in those two parables is that um, God expects everybody to take what they have, multiply it and advance it. And fear is not an excuse to be lazy. All right. Now, um, seven key steps to maximizing the stewardship cycle. This is really our new our new content for the day, other than the components of a trust. The first one is care for resources like they belong to God because they do. Right. And our, our pillar definition of stewardship said all of our resources belong to God and must be faithfully accounted for. Number two work to utilize all of the resources in your life according to the purposes of God. Now let's look at Proverbs 19, 21, and we're going to read that out of both the Amplified and the Message Bibles, Proverbs 19 and 21. And it says, many plans are in a man's mind, but it is the Lord's purpose for him that will stand. Now let's look at... Um, that in the message Bible. We humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purpose prevails. So my definition of purpose is purpose is the preordained underlying reason prompting origination sent from eternity. Purpose is, the, is, is God's reason for creating you. You know, the late great um, Dr. Miles Monroe says, if you do not know the purpose of a thing, then abuse is inevitable. And if you want to know the purpose of the thing, you never ask the thing itself. You always ask the manufacturer. As, and and that's, that's God speaking to Jeremiah saying, before I formed you in the womb, I already knew you. And ordained you to be a prophet to the nation. So you have to know the purpose for your own life and the purpose for everything that God um, has put in your life and then manage and steward resources in line with the purposes of God. What is God's why for this? What is God's why for that? That's us telling you, uh, for instance, when we were talking about, we talked about the fact that God says you are not your own. You may be the trustee of your body, but you are not the owner of it. Right. And he says, Glorify God in your body. Don't get into sexual sin. And we we said that, you know, um, my, my late apostle Rita used to tell us single guys, 
uh, with your penis, you only have pee privileges. You're not supposed to be playing with yourself and playing with somebody else with it. Because even though it's yours in terms of trusteeship, it's not yours in terms of ownership. Your body is not your own. Amen? All right, number three, prepare your management ability to be ready to be steward over more. All right? So I want to manage what I already have now at a level that if I ask, if God 10x 10 times my system and gave me 10 times as much as I have now, I would, I would continue to lead well. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23 through 27. We want to prove diligent over the things that God has entrusted us with. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maid servants. All right. So God is telling us that one of the things that we have to do is whatever area of stewardship you have to be a good steward over. Now, sometimes I think of flocks and herds. The congregation is called a flock. OK, it could be a business. It could be a ministry. Um, you could you could have a business that's a flock or a goat. Right. And then he's telling you, you have to be diligent. That means just because it was good last year, last business cycle, last quarter, sometimes you have to re up on some kind of cycle just to make sure everything stays. You cannot treat any kind of business like you can put it on autopilot. If you pull out and don't engage in it, eventually, whatever enterprise it is, it stops. So you have to you have to um, keep your eye on it. Not only it says riches are not forever. And then it says, nor does the crown endure to all generations. In other words, let's say you have a business, you've been steward over it, and then you want to pass it off to another generation. If you're if you don't maximize it, you might not have anything to pass off to some other future generation. And so you may have a crown, which means you have um, a recognized authority in a certain business, a certain market, a certain enterprise. And then you want to hand that off and you have nothing to hand off. Um, a good example of a person who was a poor steward in his own generation, but still tried to handle hand his son a success is King Saul, who wanted his son, Jonathan, the prince, to be the next king. But Saul failed in his stewardship. So that crown didn't endure to his next generation. All right. Um, so you want to prepare yourself to be steward. And then you want the enterprise you have to to be self-sustaining. That's what it meant when it said that. Um, when the hay is removed, tender grass will show itself, herbs of the mountain are gathered in, then the, that will feed your flock and your herd, and then the lambs will provide for your clothing, goats will be able to, to fund your entrepreneurial ventures, and then have enough milk 
and food for your household and for the servants. And so the enterprise, if you look at that picture, that enterprise was was intended to be self-sustaining. Each part funded the whole enterprise. But the intention of that whole enterprise was it only stayed to the extent that you were diligent to maintain it. Sometimes people get too far removed from the business and then and whatever the enterprise is, and then the stewardship falls out because you must be present to win. All right, look at number four. Number four says, plan for increase with righteous resolve. Um, remember from our teaching on the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas, that whenever stewardship was handled faithfully, increase to steward over was the result. You've been faithful over that which is least, I'll make you ruler over that which is much. You've been faithful over, um, you turned your one pound into, into 10 pounds or one mina into 10 minas, and I'm going to give you rulership over 10 cities. So you should expect that when you employ these principles of stewardship, that somewhere in God's process, increase is going to come. And you got to plan that when increase comes, that you don't waste the increase. Sometimes people practice good stewardship. They're trying to get out of debt and then they get more money. And then instead of using the increase to pay the debt down to get that snowball of um, of debt freedom going in the right direction, they spend the increase, even though God had given them increase so that they could get they could get out of their debt. Make sure you don't do that. Right. Make sure you have a righteous resolve that says, when I have increase in this area, this is what I'm going to use it for. To whom much um, to whom much is given, much is required. And to whom men have given much, they will ask more, is the way Jesus said it. So you have a plan for it. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8.18. Now, Deuteronomy 8.18 is just talking about financial increase, but, you know, we've talked about that there's more than one kind of wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Whatever kind of wealth you have. And remember, Jesus talked about spiritual riches. The Apostle Paul talked about being steward over the mysteries of God. I'm not even saying that this is only money. I'm going to give you eight categories of increase at the end. So I'm just telling you, whatever increase you have, you got to have a resolve over it. Let's say... Um, you know, one of the things that happens when you're early in your career, um, you don't have a lot of money, but you got a lot of time. So you have to spend a lot of time making money. But if you continue to be faithful at it, you'll get to a point where you'll increase to the point where uh, it'll take you less time to make the same amount of money because you've gotten promotions and advances, et cetera. But then now what do you do with the extra time? Do you just blow it? Do you just waste it? No, make sure you're using even increase in time for productive use. Somebody say amen. Okay. All right. This is an empowerment from God. Walk in it. Number five, be bold and take God opportunities as they come. You want to maximize your stewardship cycle by being faithful but when that moment of visitation arrives, you don't back off when God tries to accelerate you towards your destiny. Um, the rules of stewardship often um, shift 
during the time of visitation. You have to be bold to act and move toward a God opportunity. Often the window can close because of your hesitation, which can send you around the same mountain until your moment of opportunity resurfaces. Moses had to be bold at his moment of opportunity. When God told him, hey, you've been you've been faithful here working with your uncle Jethro, you know, and Midian, um, you know, you've been faithful. Um, you, you married. I was going to say, you married his black daughter. Yep, she was black. Okay, just go back and read it. Um, and uh, you done taken care of, you done taken care of her and, and your father-in-law, she, but now it's time for you to move to your opportunity. And Moses was hesitating when his moment had come for him to get promoted. All right? And sometimes people do hesitate. Don't hesitate. David was faithful, serving his dad, serving, taking care of sheep. He had been anointed to be king by Samuel, but he recognized a moment of opportunity that would come to him if he was bold enough to face Goliath. When he was bold enough to take the opportunity, he had to ignore his older brother, right? Because sometimes not everybody around you is ready for, is excited about your what your stewardship will open up for you. Listen, ignore them people and just do what God's telling you. you <laughs> I was going to say, you better bust a move. You better make your move when it's time to move, no matter who doesn't like it. Okay? Because you have to know your moment of opportunity. God does not require them to be sensitive to your moment. He requires you to be sensitive to your moment. Joseph was faithful um, as a steward in his dad's house. He gave his brother's evil report when they were mismanaging dad's business. His brothers didn't like his dream. He got put into slavery. He was in Potiphar's house. He was faithful. Potiphar had appointed him. Potiphar and his wife were the beneficiaries. Potiphar was the settler of the trust, but David, but, but Joseph multiplied everything that he had put in the trust property. And he lived within the guidelines, even when his wife didn't want him to live within the object of that trusteeship. But in the midst of that, he got, he got, um, he got persecuted for doing right, not for doing wrong. Got thrown into prison and he was again faithful Again, a good steward over everything in the prison. The Bible says that even though he was a prisoner, the warden turned everything in the prison over to him. I imagine it like this. He made every every prisoner go into his cell and then he went and closed his own cell door that night and then went to sleep in his own cell after putting all of the prisoners in the cell. Wouldn't it be crazy if somebody was in Michigan Department of Corrections and the warden had put a prisoner to run some of the people that's coming in from the outside who were coming in being the guards, right? That's what, that's what Joseph did. But then his moment came. He interpreted the thing. He was faithful not only to the natural stewardship, he was faithful to be a good steward over his physical, over his spiritual gifts. God had given him dreams, and then God gave him 
from his own dream, the prophetic ability to interpret another person's dream. He did it even though he was in trouble. Sometimes when people get in trouble, they don't they turn off their spiritual gifts because they don't want to minister to other people when they in their own problem. Joseph didn't do that. Even though he was in a problem, he was still ministering to other people. And it was that ministry to other people in terms of interpreting that gifts two years later. Didn't happen over, overnight. Two years later, after he interpreted their dream, when the butler forgot it, it came back to him two years later, and then he got out. At that moment, Joseph had to make his move. He could have stayed there. He could have stayed in prison. I don't know. I don't want to do this. He could have. He could have not been ready for the interview. But because he had taken care of Potiphar before he sent Potiphar into Pharaoh's presence, he knew the protocol about how to dress for the interview. So he saved himself because Egyptians didn't like facial hair. That's why you don't see on any other Egyptian, um, any of the Egyptian thing. They always have a goatee, but they don't have long facial hair. So your Bible says he shaved himself and changed his clothes because he wanted to make sure he looked for the job that he was going to, not the one he had. All right. So you want to be a person that when that time comes, it don't matter who don't like it. When your opportunity come and it's your day of visitation, baby, bye. I'm leaving all of y'all and I'm going to my next assignment. And you got to be OK that everybody ain't OK. They don't have to be OK. You have to be OK with your opportunity. You have to be bold in your God moment. Somebody say amen. All right. Because if you don't, you can let a window close on you and then you have to wait for that window to come open again. Children of Israel, God gave them a God opportunity. He had promised them he would take them into the promised land. They sent spies there for 40 days, you know, 12 spies. 10 said it's it's a good land, but we like we like grasshoppers. And people turn down promotions like that. They, they're faithful, they're asking God for money, and then a God opportunity comes to them, and then they, they, they retreat in their own fear, like the servant who was afraid. And then they lose their, their moment because they, they draw back in fear. I had people, you know, um, thinking of a minister, an opportunity came to go on TV, but they was too scared to go on TV when opportunity came. And then that, that door closed. And, you know, once the door closed, you don't, you don't necessarily get to open what you want to. So you got to be bold enough to take a real God opportunity when it comes in front of you, because it may not come around to you again. They have to come around to your kids. And then don't be hating on the kids when they walking through a door that you should have walked through in Jesus. Um, let's look at Joshua chapter one, verses three through seven. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, into the detour, the going down territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law my servant commanded you do not to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So God was here. The appointer, the children of land, and he gave them what the boundaries of the land were. 
He also gave them the object or the parameters and guidelines. You got to meditate guidelines that will keep you prospering and advancing in that land. As long as you do that, that I established through, for you through Moses. But he had to be bold to take that opportunity or another generation could have wandered in the wilderness if he wasn't bold enough to cross the Jordan and go in and possess the land. You have to be bold at your moment of opportunity. Is an attitude of partnership with God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. And it says, for we are God's fellow workers, God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. That word there for fellow workers is what we're talking about. That word there is the word sunergos, where we get the English word synergy. Synergy is the thought that um, the sum is greater the total is greater than the sum of the parts where one plus one can equal four because when things that are synergistic get together, it's not an addition. It's an increase that is greater than the sum of the parts. What, what he's telling you is, is that um, if we are fellow workers, we are in synergy with God, that God is our senior, sovereign, spiritual supernatural strategic partner and with partnering with God means that little can become much in his hands. All right. Um, if we treat God like a partner, then as our senior partner, he will always trust us and entrust us with more. If you are a good partner. Okay. Um, you have to recognize that you have a partner that knows more about increase than anyone in the universe. If you recognize him and treat him properly, he will increase you. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17. Isaiah 48 and 17. Thus said the Lord, your redeemer, your turnaround specialist the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. All right, so God has a way to teach you how to advance and to have uh, income of whatever type that over, over uh, that is larger than the expense in that area. He teaches you to profit because that's what a profit is, right? Income minus expenses equal profit. And so he can teach you how to have a safe surplus in every area of your life. And you can have a, some people um, have relational deficits. It's not, don't, don't just think, see in our framework, stewardship is more than about money. Money is included. Because we showed you in Luke 16, if you haven't been faithful and unrighteous man, God won't trust you with true riches. I'm just telling you, sometimes you need you need to um, to invest in your relationship such that when you have to make a withdrawal from that relationship, it won't go bankrupt. OK, your Bible says it this way. A good name is worth more than gold. 
All right. And so what happens is your name, you need to invest in your own brand name by investing in the character behind the name. All right. Because some people, their name is so good, all they got to do is say it and then it goes and, it, and everybody just counts it done because of the person who made the statement. Their name, their name has a certain weight to it. Now, let's look at number seven. Number seven says exercise faith and patience in the process. Let's look at Hebrews chapter six, verse 12. And it says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith talks about tomorrow like it was yesterday. Then act as far as you can within good conscience to, 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 to steward today as if you see your, as you see yourself stewarding tomorrow. I remember uh, we, you know, at times I would, to imitate the stewardship that I believe myself to have in the future, there were times when I would like get pictures and briefcases and things and I would do everything I can to act like the thing that I believe that God had for me in the future. And that's what I'm saying is you need to go as far as you can speak, speak into, speak into whatever assignment you have now, the abundance you desire and act as if it has already manifested within reason, right? Don't, you know, some people get spooky, but you can always take steps to act like your tomorrow today. Amen. And that's the faith part. The patience part is being willing to endure at your current level until your visitation comes. Joseph's, Joseph's principle said, when I am righteous, even a downgrading is a repositioning for supernatural promotion. David's principle, because he went through a lot to get him from the moment he was keeping sheep when Samuel came and found him all the way up to the point where he was promoted to be king. Um, his statement, his principle is my patience is the empowerment that allows supernatural promotion. OK. All right. One last list that I have for you today, and we'll talk about these tomorrow. This list or ne not tomorrow, next um, next Tuesday. Um, as I said, stewardship has various categories. I want you to just look at a framework um, of categories of what I think about in the area of stewardship, these, these eight areas, right? Eight categories of resources for stewardship. It, there's personal stewardship over your spirit, soul, and body. Let me give you an example. The scripture says of the spirit, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life, right? Set your affections on things above. Renew your mind. You know, the Lord is, um, present your body as a living sacrifice to God. All right. Your body isn't for sexual sin. The scripture is very emphatic about that, that how you take care of that, um, you can increase that. You're also supposed to steward your time. Your Bible says, um, says it this way. It says redeeming the time because the days are evil. You're supposed to take every moment and be a good steward over the time. The scripture says, teach us to number our days so we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Whatever skills and ability 
God has given you. The Bible says the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, being skillful in whatever your assignment is, being fluid, ready, practice. All right. Um, whatever your skill is, applying that to wh whatever career God's given you, whatever business um, enterprise that he has, whatever managerial responsibility is another area of stewardship. And you got to think about it. You may be an individual entrepreneur, but management oftentimes mean that you have stewardship over other people who have stewardship responsibilities. And the more you move up in management, the more stewards are under you, which means you're not the person who ultimately get all of the outcomes. You help to manage people who get the outcomes. All right. So I'll, I think of that that management is going from being a doer to being a leader to being a leader. To First, you go from being a doer to a leader of doers. Then you go from being a leader of doers to being a leader of leaders. Right. And all of that is a stewardship thing from a managerial responsibility. We talked about first Corinthians four, that we ministers are stewards over the mysteries of God. Um, number six is relationships. Now, um, remember in first Corinthians, excuse me, Luke chapter 16, it says that you're supposed to use wealth to, to develop relationships in business. But Think about relationships, about making investments. If you were to monetize your relationship, do you have do you have positive or negative? The scripture says that the apostle Peter said that you, husbands are supposed to treat their wives um, as the more delicate vessel, according to knowledge, joint heirs of the grace of life. And my statement is, is that the check of the favor of God on your life requires two signatures, husband and wife, to cash. Then we said um, stewardship over finances. And finances could include stocks and bonds. It could include all kinds of financial instruments or money instruments. But some of them are not the business itself. You just have a financial aspect into the business. Or it could be assets, land, precious metal, uh, real estate, contracts. Some people... Um, I was thinking about uh, the guy that uh, one of the guys who who um, sung sung the, uh, the the soundtrack for the original um, Lion King movie, and they wanted to pay him a couple million dollars, and he said, "No, no, I don't want to get a million dollars now. I want royalties on this forever." That that turned out to be the best decision because he's made more in royalties than if he would have got a lump sum up front. OK, what I'm saying is assets, you need to be thinking in a larger fashion than just, you know, um, just a house and a car. Amen. OK, so we'll we'll talk some more about some of these categories um, here next week. But I'm challenging you to to think about categories. I don't even you know, that was like a very quick, quick uh, listing of assets. Or, or things to steward. I'm, I'm always looking for something. So I'll be meditating now for this week. That that list may be bigger by the time you see it, see it next week, because I think that's something that's really important and that we want to challenge ourselves to think through the categories of where we're being a steward. What it takes to be a good steward in relationship might be different um, 
In other words, sometimes a person will maximize their business destroying their home relationships. That's not an overall good stewardship plan. You follow me? Somebody that that uh, works hours and hours and makes a lot of money um, but doesn't invest in their marriage hasn't been in balance a good steward, even though they might have maximized the financial part of their portfolio, their relationships are weak. Or a person who goes out and makes a lot of business money or, or a lot of money and fame, but loses his soul. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gain steward the whole world and lose his soul? And what should you give in exchange for your soul? So that framework is intent intended to give you a holistic assessment of stewardship in every area of your life.